Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss modern-day Jane Austen adaptations. Now covering Emma Approved, I'm Jillian Davis. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. Keep up with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Pemberley. You can help support our running costs on patreon.com slash thepemberley. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another special episode of the Pemberley Podcast, where this week we have a very special guest, writer-director Shilpi Roy. Shilpi is responsible for directing the most recent arc of Emma Proof that we have been discussing. And we had such a great time talking to Shilpi, learning about her own directing and writing journey, and even hearing about the projects she's working on now. And if you want to keep up with her on social media, you can follow her on Twitter at iplish, that's I-P-L-I-S-H. So without further ado, Shilpi Roy. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we have a very special episode of the Pemberley Podcast because we have a guest. Uh, she's the writer-director of Hipsterhood and Disillusioned, and she was a director on Emma Approved. Please welcome Shilpi Roy! Yay! <laughs> thanks, guys. Sure. Thanks for being here today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So why don't we start at the very beginning. Tell us your origin story, what brought you to L.A., how you got here. Well, for those of you um, listening, because you can't see me, I should mention that I am Indian, uh, as in my parents are from India, um, but I grew up in North Carolina. So I grew up in the South, around mostly white people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always liked film, TV. I actually had a TV in my room, like at the age of 10. My parents were like, you know what, as long as your grades are good, you can kind of do whatever you want. So, um, you know, I always loved TV and film, never thought it could be a career of any sort. But when I got to college, realized I hated all my majors and my prospects in life. <laughs> and so I did a film studies minor. And in my first two days of classes, it, like I was like, this is more fun than anything I've done in the past three years yeah. <laughs> in college. What, what was your major? Um, I was uh, psychology and economics. Okay. Very different from film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, after college, um, I just came to L.A., and I was like, I have to. I didn't know anything about filmmaking, really, like beyond my minor. Sure. Um, but I was like, I have to I at least give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And so um, I came out here. I got very lucky. And within the first week of coming to L.A., I interviewed with the, um, Warren Littlefield, who used to be the head of NBC. Oh, um, TV. Yeah. And he's now an exec producer on, like, Handmaid's Tale, mm-hmm. Fargo. Um, he's kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I've um, heard of him. <laughs> I had no idea who he was when sure. I interviewed with him. It was kind of my first real job interview ever. Wow, <laughs> that's so cool. And I was like, I was very nervous, and I was expecting, you know, like job interview questions, like, "What are your strengths?" Yeah. And, and I was interviewing for like an assistant position mm-hmm. or whatever, and and I went in there, and all he asked me was like, "So, like, what do you like to watch on TV?" And I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute." <laughs> Wait, this is easy. Yeah. <laughs> and we just like talked about TV for half an hour. And then I got the job. Mm. And it was only afterwards that I found out like his credits. And I was wow. like, oh my God. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but that's how it started. Um, so I worked for him for about a year or so. I realized um, I did not like developing content. Okay. Um, this is ironic because now that's pretty much all I do. But <laughs> <laughs> So I decided to go to film school. And um, I got into USC uh, MFA grad program. Um, and so then that's where, that's where I learned the writing, directing, editing. I concentrate on editing a lot too, kind of as a day job stuff. After film school, I, uh, you know, I would introduce myself to people like, oh, I'm a writer director. 
And they'd be like, oh, cool. So what have you made that we can watch? And I'd be like, well, <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> nothing that I want to show you. Sure. And that's when I decided to make Hipsterhood. Because I was like, if I'm going to call myself writer-director, I need something to have written and directed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had no money, right? And so I designed that whole web series to be very cheap. And um, and so what I did was I made it all about... So it's about these two hipsters in Silver Lake, which is a very hipster neighborhood in L.A. And um, they never really talk to each other, but they keep seeing each other around the neighborhood. And so the series is their voiceover of what they think about as they think about talking to each other. Like, what would they say? Mm. And what that meant was I didn't have to pay for production sound, which is... Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's great. Because <laughs> I, I love Hipsterhood. I've seen it. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> that that is the most expensive part of any low-budget production because mm. it's very hard to get good production sound for cheap. So I just didn't have production sound. Um, my uh, husband is a cinematographer, so between the two of us, we could cover all the other skills. So that's how I made Hipsterhood, and it did really well. Like, kind of surprisingly, I, I it came out right when like hipsters were like hitting popular conscience mm-hmm. of the country, um, and then I had people being like, "Well, what's going to happen in season two? And I was like, "Oh." I should make another season. <laughs> and it didn't occur to me. But one of the things that I, in film school, like when people would ask me, what do you want to do? I'd say, oh, I want to write and direct movies. Um, I love television, but I didn't understand how to tell stories for really long periods of time and over um, episodes and seasons. And by making Hipsterhood, I figured out how you do that in a TV show. Hmm. And all of a sudden, it was like this whole new format was at my fingertips. And I was like, oh, my God episodic storytelling is actually more fun than doing movies. And so that's kind of how I got more into a TV world. And so in terms of Emma Approved, um, uh, because I'd made Hipsterhood, I was now in the kind of web content world. And Bernie Sue was also in that world. And so I, I met him at some event for like digital creators. And, you know, he like, he was cool. We became friends. Um, and I think, you know, I assume he'd seen Hipsterhood at some point. And uh, so he just, one day he was asked and he was like, do you want to come direct some of Emma? Like, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm slammed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I was like, obviously, yes. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of how I got to Emma. One thing leads to another in the industry, right? So I made Hipsterhood. I directed some of Emma. Um, Hipsterhood actually led me to working with ABC Digital, which is, no longer really a part of ABC, but at the time there was like this big kind of department um, pushing digital series. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I pitched um, a different web series that they passed on as a web series, but then they helped me pitch it as a TV show. So then I actually sold a TV show to Freeform. Um, we shot a pilot, we redeveloped it. It didn't get on the air, but it was about two Indian girls. Um, so that was fun. Like that, it could have been like the first show on TV with like two Indian leads. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. not. I'm still hoping. Oh, one yeah. day, one day we'll get there. Nice. After that experience, I am now writing on a TV show for Netflix that is not out yet. It's called Team Kaylee, but ironically, created by one of the producers of Emma Approved. Oh, who I when I went to work on Emma Approved, I met her for the first time and we're talking, and she's like, "Where do you live?" You know, it's a common question in LA. I was like, "Oh, I live in Silver Lake," and she's like. I live in Silver Lake. <laughs> and I was like, where Where do you live in Silver Lake? And she's like, oh, you would know. It's this street called Tularosa. And I was like, I live on Tularosa. <laughs> we live like three houses down from each other. Oh, oh my wow. Gosh. You never knew. We met in Santa Monica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my 
gosh, the other end of the world. Yeah. So then we, um, you know, we just started hanging out. We'd take, like, walks around the neighborhood sometimes. Oh, nice. um, and she had been, you know, she was also a writer. And so she mm-hmm. ended up selling the show to Netflix that she, I kind of helped her with the process of developing and pitching it. And so she brought me on to write on her show. So it's it's kind of this interesting Pemberley connection that you guys yeah. didn't even know about. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Full circle. Yeah. That's amazing. What what producer is it, if we can ask? Her name is uh, Tracy Bitterolf. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. That is very cool. So let's go back to Emma really quickly for sure. a second. So um, were you familiar with any of Jane Austen's work before getting involved in the show? I mean, I was familiar, quite frankly, with, like, the movies. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think I had read Pride and Prejudice um, at some point, and I think that may be the only one that okay. I have actually read. Yeah. But I do know about kind of the rabid fan base that her her books have and how kind of I don't know if it would be a romanticized version of the the aristocracy of her time Mm -hmm. but but I will say that like well I haven't read a lot of it but I have seen the movies and I understand kind of the 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 genre that she's in Mm -hmm. and being Indian like it's a lot of the same kind of themes and rules and concepts like the way the Mm -hmm. society worked for her in her time that she writes about the culture, you know, back then in India and also still now, it's like still a lot of the same kind of issues. So I completely understand, you know, kind of where all the characters are coming from and the world they live in. Did you have a favorite movie then that you watched? Mm. I I really liked the ew, was it Keira Knightley Colin Firth okay. Pride and Prejudice. Those are was two that? different oh, adaptations. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> There's wait. a Keira Knightley movie. And, the movie. Um, oh, the who's the guy in it? Matthew McFadden. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Pam, Pam. Honestly, because that movie was beautiful. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. just stunning. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I remember most from that movie. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. <laughs> no, I think every shot of that movie could be like a portrait. It is, yeah. yes. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I was looking at the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's very beautiful. So what was it like jumping onto the Emma Proof train like halfway through the series? Yeah, it was it was really actually it's one of my favorite directing experiences ever. Oh good. Because you know, I had been directing in a low budget indie world for a while up to up to that point, but um they would shoot a giant page count on mm-hmm. the weekends. I want to say 50, 60 pages mm-hmm. a weekend, which is unheard of. Yeah. It just, just doesn't happen. <laughs> and so I was kind of I was like how does this work? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, I'd gone to set like the kind of weekend prior to see just how the logistics of the shooting works. That's when I met Tracy and um, all that stuff. What I found was in directing, you you have a, you have to think about a lot of things at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Where's the camera? Where are the actors? You know, what are the props? What is the blocking? Are you telling the story? Right. <laughs> and then <laughs> most importantly. Are you telling the story in the way that you're trying to tell the story, right? Which mm-hmm. often is the thing that gets lost mm-hmm. because you're thinking about so many you things. caught up in the technical stuff. And yeah, it's like, exactly. Yeah. And so what happened with, because it's shot in this vlog style format, I didn't have to think about where the camera was. It just stayed in one place the right. whole time. And I didn't have to think about the story because there's all these writers behind me. And it's their job to make sure that the actors are saying exactly the right words. And so what I found was it was really fun because I didn't have to think about everything. I really only had to think about the blocking of the actors for the one or two cameras and the pacing, right? And just making sure that the energy was up. And then the subtext, right? Which subtext is like the most fun part of movie and TV. And, And because I was only really thinking about those three things, 
it, it was just like more fun. I could kind of concentrate on each one of those things a lot uh-huh. and put a lot into it. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. Were there any unique challenges then in going into this style versus something like hipsterhood directing? Yeah, I mean, um, just uh, literally like the volume of okay, stuff. Like yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was a lot. Um, those actors are amazing. The fact, I mean, they, they don't necessarily have to memorize every single line, but um, they, they do memorize a lot of it. <laughs> you know, it's always hard kind of inserting yourself into a machine that's already going, mm. you know, so that, that in itself is a skill. But um, the challenge really was like, it is still, it, it is a very small space and the camera is fixed. And so at first that really feels like the challenge, like, oh God, if I can just move the camera. Mm. <laughs> but then that becomes the fun part, right? Like, like challenges are fun. And so I was like, oh, oh, cool. And so now you, you figure out new ways to do it. And my my goal walking in, having watched a lot of the episodes beforehand, you know, they didn't really move people around a lot because the camera is fixed and there's only so many places you can move somebody right. and have the scene work. And so I was like, I'm going to find a way to use the space. And so I really tried my hardest to actually get them to still move around in their frame and make it natural and work for the story. But, you know add just a little more variety to the people watching so it's not always just, you know, people talking to camera or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. That's cool. Do you have any favorite memories from the Emma Proof set? Hmm. I mean, I think I do still remember my my favorite moments that we filmed. There is a moment where um, Brent Bailey picks up Joanna or she's like running away and oh, he's like oh, yeah, yeah. her or she's like hold me back I can't remember we did that recently yeah okay, it yeah. was when uh, she wants to go stop because B-Mart's coming and he's talking to Harry yes. and he's trying to like hold her back yes and I just I was like how's again fixed camera yeah is this going to work and it did and I was like yes <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done if it didn't <laughs> I would have reblocked it. I would, you know, I just mm-hmm. couldn't make it. But I was like, this this moment should be like really energetic. Like that's what I was going mm-hmm. for. And I, again, it's just hard to do that in the setup. And so, um, you know, you would have just, I would have just scaled it down and brought it back and done kind of what they always do. But um, I think that one worked really well. Yeah, so. it did. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite Emma approved uh, romance storyline? Oh, I mean. They're all so cute. I don't know if I have one. I mean, Dan is so... What is her character's name again? Harriet. Harriet. Right, right, Harriet. I mean, that one's probably my favorite one because it's... They're both, like, adorably awkward. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think... But I also, like, Joanna and Brent are really cute, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably Dan and, and, and yeah. And was it James? James Brown yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, played... Yeah. Bobby Sorry, Martin. I know them more as Bobby actors Martin. now than their characters. Sure, yeah. Bobby Martin was <laughs> his character. We're in the yes. middle of it right now. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. We're watching the episodes and we're making the notes on the oh, other okay. lines and everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have to. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I yeah. know they're great. So let's talk about some of your new projects coming out, mm-hmm. uh, including Stalled for mm-hmm. listeners who don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, So I was actually in this program called the AFI Directing Workshop for Women. And uh, it's this thing where like hundreds of female directors apply every year. They pick eight and um, you make a short film. They give you like guidance and mentors and some training and you make a short film that premieres. And as I said, I'd gone to film school at USC. In film school, you know, you have to make a thesis of some sort. Most people make a short film. So, you know, this was literally 10 years ago that I had gone to film school and I wrote this short film to be my thesis about basically um, a woman 
who's on a blind date that she doesn't want to be on. And at the same restaurant, there's this couple that's trying to get engaged. And uh, the woman says no, even though she does want to get married. So the movie's about the two women on these two kind of bad dates bonding in the bathroom over their issues of love and trust. And I wrote this and it was like a very personal story. The main character is, you know, an Indian American. We had a professor who kind of guides us in our rewrite of the movie before we shoot it. And so I brought this script in and I'm like, this is going to be my thesis. And she just hated it. Oh, no. And she just could not understand why any of the characters were doing what they were doing. Why would this girl have said no? And and why is this even happening? And um, I mean, to not to make her out to be a villain, like my first draft was horrible. Sure. So like, like there, there was that. But I really felt like she was kind of attacking kind of the whole concept. Mm. And so at the end of the class, I was like, the script is horrible, right? I just, I can't make it work. I hate it. I just kind of tossed it out. I wrote something completely different and I shot that. And that was my thesis. And I love that movie. 10 years later, I have to apply to this program with a short film script. And literally the only one that I had was that script from 10 years ago. Wow. So I'm like, well, let me just read it. Maybe it's not that bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I reread it and I really liked it. I was mm. like, wait, I think this is good. <laughs> like, and it's it's 10 years old, but it still feels relevant. So I that's that's what I submitted with, that script. And um, I got into the program and, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, your script is so great. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I can't believe I thought this was so horrible. And so I, I made that movie and um, that stalled. And um, it, so it's just this really, like, interesting, like, personal journey, you know. And the irony is, had I made that movie 10 years ago, it would not be nearly as good as it is now because mm-hmm. I have 10 years of experience and, you know, confidence building and just, just all this stuff. And, like, I'm kind of glad that I didn't make it back then because it, it, it is quite – I'm very, very proud of what I made. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody did a fantastic job. And um, I think it's a great little movie. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very excited to get it out into the world. Hooray! Is it going through, um, like, film festivals and stuff? Or how can people see it or support it? Yeah, you know, I'm figuring that out. Okay. Um, I, I'm definitely applying to some of the bigger festivals. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I do, like, thankfully, I have representation in the great. industry right now. <laughs> and they don't care really about festivals. Like, oh, you know, okay. unless it wins, like, a ton of awards, um, which... I don't, it may or may not do. I don't know. But uh, it's it's really more of a, like, directing sample for me. So mm-hmm. I, I'm getting it out to kind of executives and showrunners and people who um, have power to hire me. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and I'm trying to basically start I, – I'm, I'm working as a professional writer right now. I'm in the guild. But I would like to start working as a professional director mm-hmm. as well. And so that's kind of the main purpose of the movie for me. However um, – I am submitting it to some festivals, and at a certain point, I will just put it up online, and then everyone can see it, but I haven't quite figured out the timeline yet. Is there a particular genre that you're more drawn to in like in your writing and directing? Yeah. In my writing and directing, um, I am, I would say I'm more of like a dramedy girl. Okay. Like I, I like comedy, but not necessarily like my own personal voice is not like hard-hitting jokes, sitcom mm-hmm. style. Um, I'm much more kind of single camera, which I find can be more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And because my my work often centers on kind of diverse characters, right? Like I'm yeah. trying to bring the diversity to the forefront. Um, like a single camera uh, work, I feel like it just allows for more kind of nuance and um, around conversations of like diversity and yeah. discrimination and prejudice and racism in a way that likes 
sitcoms don't because you just have to make everything funny and then you lose some of the you know the delicacy of the the arguments or the point, points of view so mm-hmm. like if you watch stalled um it it is like it's funny it's not like super super funny but i, I really like awkward people in awkward situations okay <laughs> and just uh, um that was the thing about hipsterhood right like the comment i got on hipsterhood really really often was like was people saying oh my god i have totally been in that situation mm-hmm. and uh, like i know exactly what you're going for and yeah, it's really, really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that I kind of like mining um, the small moments in life that other shows will like gloss over those small, uncomfortable moments. Mm-hmm. But to a person, it can feel like a lifetime. You know, even when you're just crossing the street and you're like, oh, what, should I go? Should I go? Th- are we going to? Yeah. You know, are we going to run into each other? Who goes left? Who goes right? You both go left. Oh, God damn it. You know, like, you go right. Oh, why can't I get out of this? Is so annoying. Yeah. You know, you can't look him in the eye. Right. That would be weird. It would be. <laughs> right? Yeah. You try to. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's what I find kind of most hilarious about life. And I try mm-hmm. to kind of put that kind of stuff into my work. So for uh, any young women listening, what advice would you give them about directing and how to get started and what makes a good director, et cetera? Oh my god, I have so much advice. Yay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, getting started, do what Nike tells you to do. Just do it. Okay. That's, that really is the best way. You will learn much more by doing than you will by reading books or or even going to class. Although I will say, if you are in a position to take film classes, take them. If you feel like it's something you can't afford, then that's totally fine. Just make a bunch of bad films. You don't have to show them to anyone. It's just you will learn so much by taking yourself all the way through the process from conception to writing to the actual production and then through post. Teach yourself all of those skills because they all inform each other. Uh, When I was, you know, I concentrated on editing when I was in film school um, as well as writing and directing and I worked as an editor for many years. Editing certainly makes you a better director in that you can shoot faster because you learn exactly what you need and what you don't need. And you can kind of cut the movie in your head before you shoot it, which is not a skill that every director has, at least starting out. But, you you know, any other way in works too. Um, if you're a first AD, if you can kind of go down, like start as a PA and work your way up that way. First ADs are on set next to the director the entire time. So they're just... They're there. They're seeing everything. So that's a great way to learn as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, um, if you concentrate on writing and you're like, I'm going to write and then direct, which is often kind of the easiest way to get into directing sometimes, you will have such a solid handle on story that you it will never go wrong on set like you will always know what story you're telling which as you said you know sometimes you get lost in the logistics and the technicalities and you mm-hmm. do lose the sense of the story so it, it really is just do it just start filmmaking um get whatever jobs you can to support it uh work in the industry if you can um another part of directing honestly that maybe isn't like emphasized but um it's really about your collaborators like mm-hmm. it is a collaborative art form you cannot do it by yourself you can write by yourself but after that you need you need people and so meeting good people um that that will you know make films with you along the way will exponentially make them better that's like the basic (laughs) basic guidelines no sounds like some like good advice specifically for women though Mm because that's kind of general advice for everybody don't denigrate yourself you know, a lot of, especially women in comedy, like their first instinct is be like, yeah, you know, this is like not really that good, but I was thinking that maybe we could do this. Like that's not, nobody's, 
Nobody's going to want to work with you sort if that's how you... Sort of second-guessing yourself in front of the person when you should be proving yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even if you, like... I've talked to a lot of female directors who work in television, mm-hmm. um, and they started a long time ago. And every single one of them was like, I was terrified that everyone would find out that I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But no one said anything. And then at a certain point, like, they had so much experience that it was just not applicable anymore, right. you know? But even to this day, Steven Spielberg says, like, every, you know, every new scene I start, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but you can't tell anyone that. You have to, directing is all about leadership, and you have to, at the very least, pretend <laughs> that right. you know exactly what you want to do and what's going to happen. And so it's, it's really important that you project that persona to your colleagues that you're working with. And it doesn't mean that you can't say, I don't know. It just means you say, I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the difference. Well, thank you so much, Sophie. Yeah, thank oh, you. thank you. So nice to meet you, too. Yeah, me too. This episode has been Pemberley Podcast Approved. Pemberley Podcast approved.